Good morning. For those um, who are here in person who might be new visiting, for those who uh, might be new online, um, for those who may not know me, my name is Kent. I'm the student pastor here at Crosspoint, and uh, I'm glad that you've decided to join us here in person or via the live stream. Um, who in here has heard the phrase, pride comes before a fall? If you grew up a little bit more older, English style of translation might be pride cometh before the fall. Yes? Familiar to anybody? Yeah? Yeah, a lot of you? This was a common phrase that I remember hearing when growing up. Don't know about you. But for me, growing up, I'd say something arrogant, prideful. And a family member would say, watch out, Kent. Pride comes before a fall. To this day, it serves uh, me as a great reminder, pride comes before a fall. It's a, it's a great reminder that I have to be careful when I'm tempted to think higher of myself and my abilities more than I ought to. Now we get this phrase, pride comes before a fall, from Proverbs 16:18. Proverbs 16:18 says this, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Now when reading this proverb, we see something that's called a, a parallelism. A parallelism is a device where one line of poetry is followed by a second line in some way that reiterates or reinforces the first line. Now, there are several types of parallelism. This uh, proverb, we see one that is uh, called a synonymous parallelism. Synonymous parallelism is where uh, the second line of poetry says the same thing as the first in the same word order, but only the vocabulary differs. So you see, pride comes before destruction, an arrogant spirit before a fall. Because the two lines are synonymous, they mean the same thing. You can take the first half of the first line, pride comes, and the second half of the second line, before a fall, and get a phrase that means the same thing as the proverb. Therefore, we get pride comes before a fall, a phrase that we use today. Now, there's your grammar lesson for this morning. And I challenge you, if you've never read Proverbs in this way, knowing about parallelisms, go back and read through them. You, you'll never be able to see Proverbs the same way. Hopefully it enlightens you to, to see them in, in a new way. Now, you might be wondering, Kent, why are you talking about Proverbs? Aren't we in the middle of a, of a study in the Gospel of Luke? And I said, yes, yes we are. And if you were here this past Sunday, um, or if you listened online, the passage that Dave taught ended with the disciples arguing which one of them was the greatest. Usually when you have a group of people arguing about which one of them is the greatest, you have pride at the core of that conversation. It's here where we start our passage for today. It's this setting that we see this passage in Luke chapter 22. So, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them and meet me in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke 22, 31. If you don't have your Bibles, I think I have it on the screen as well. I'll start reading from verse 31 of Luke 22. Simon, Simon, look out. I just want to pause there to get some context of why in the world Jesus is singling out Simon Peter. Now, we need to read uh, some of the other gospel accounts of this same conversation uh, to get an understanding of why Jesus is focusing his attention on Simon. So, 
Uh, we're going to go to Matthew 26 really quickly. Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. We see this, uh, uh, more of this conversation in Matthew's account. Verse 31 of Matthew 26 says, Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will fall away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. This is key. This is the key part. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Here we see prideful Peter saying, if everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. I am better than everyone else. Oh, Peter, don't you see that pride comes before a fall? So that's the context of Jesus singling out Peter. So let's get back to our text in Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 31, let's read the whole verse. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like Wheat. I'm going to pause again. I promise I won't do this every single verse. This is the only one because there's just a lot in here. Um, it's interesting to note that the English word when we read you is actually in the plural form in the original Greek language. So a better reading of this text would be Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat. You all is referring to the disciples who are with Jesus at that present time. Sifting wheat is a, is a rough action of shaking the wheat to separate the chaff from it. And Jesus is using this to symbolize Satan tempting them to spiritual ruin by trying to shake their faith. Brothers and sisters, I hope you realize that you and I are in a spiritual battle every day. It was true for the disciples back then. It is true for us today. Do you realize that Satan is trying to sift all believers like wheat? Do you see that he's trying to shake your faith in God? I ask you, where is Satan tempting you as when he tries to shake your faith? Is Satan tempting you to, to doubt God's goodness and his sovereignty in your life when current circumstances are not what you thought uh, they would be or what you desire them to be? Is Satan tempting you to doubt that God can satisfy all your needs when he shakes you and puts that old addiction, that old sinful habit back in your face? Is Satan tempting you to doubt God's design so that you can be accepted by majority culture? Is Satan tempting you to doubt God's love when all you see around you are the broken things where is Satan tempting you as he tries to shake your faith? For the next moment, I, I just want to encourage you. If you feel like your, your faith is being shaken, if you feel like you're being tempted by Satan, please know that you are not alone. Please reach out to someone. It's in these moments where we need the body of Christ to encourage one another and to strengthen one another. If you're in a situation where Satan is trying to shake your faith, I pray the same prayer that we see Jesus pray for Peter in the next verse. So let's keep reading in our passage. Luke 22, verse 32. 
But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told them, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster, the rooster will not crow until you deny me three times that you know me. Here we see Jesus says this because he knows. He knows that Peter is going to sin. He knows that Peter is going to deny him. And even in Peter's sin, Jesus prays. And he knows that Peter will keep his faith in him. For he says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I have a lot more to say this, but I'll say that, say that till later. Um, in this section of Scripture, we see Jesus describing the, the danger that his disciples are about to be in. A situation where S Satan will tempt them to try to shake their faith. It's just not Peter, but it's all of them. And Jesus is trying to get them to see that. So let's keep reading verse 35 through 38. He also said to them, When I sent you out without a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. But then he said to them, But now whoever has a money bag should take it, and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell it, should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you what is written must be fulfilled in me. He was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. That is enough, he told them. All right, so let's just pause for a moment here and take a deeper look at what Jesus is actually saying here. Now, earlier in Luke, Jesus had sent out his disciples to go share the gospel um, to those uh, towns and to um, just preach the good news about him coming to earth and God's love for humanity. Now, when this was done, there was not yet a constant violent opposition to Jesus yet. But now the circumstances have vastly changed. The, the situation will become very violent as Jesus is whipped, beaten, and then killed on a cross. And because of the coming persecution, Jesus is preparing his disciples to gather the necessary resources to protect themselves. Because if they're going to go after the leader, they're going to go after the followers. Now, on the note about obtaining a sword, because that's in there, uh, and because I'm sure I'm not the only one who read that and was slightly confused, to say the least, there are two things that are happening here at the same time that we must take note. One thing, that is, Jesus is trying to communicate the level of persecution that the disciples will face. And whether he meant it figuratively or literally to buy a sword is much debated. And if you really want to talk about that debate, come find me after the service, and I would love to have coffee or tea with you, and we can discuss that at length. But the overall point is that we see um, that life is going to get much more difficult for the disciples and as a result, we see the disciples uh, taking Jesus' words literally and then obtaining swords. The second thing that is happening during this is that prophecy is being fulfilled. So Isaiah 53 was read this morning. And I, in Isaiah 53, 12, it mentions Jesus being found among the lawless, among the rebels. And this prophecy is being fulfilled when the disciples take up swords, therefore labeling themselves as rebels or lawless. 
Here we see a classic example of God's sovereignty and human free will, or what I like to call human responsibility, happening at the same time. Both are present in a mysterious way that cannot be fully explained. I take note of this because we will continue to see this beautiful combination of God's sovereignty and human responsibility in the passages that we're going to read next. So let's jump back into Luke with that. We're going to skip verses 39 through 46, and we're going to go straight to uh, 47. So if you could jump down with me to Luke 22, verse 47. While he, being Jesus, was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and, and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with the sword? And then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police, the elders who had come for him, have you come with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. They seized him, led him away, and brought him to the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following in a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light, looked closely at him. She said, this man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, This man was certainly with him since he is also a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Did you see God's sovereignty and human responsibility at work? God had ordained Judas as the one who would portray Jesus. We see this in John 13. And he foreordained Peter's denial of Jesus, which we just read. He basically said, you're going to do this. And at the same time, both made their decisions. Both are held responsible for their actions. And again, this is simply a mystery that we cannot fully comprehend, but we see both in Scripture. So we say yes and we say amen to both truths, and we live in this tension of the beautiful mystery that should lead us to a posture of worship before God. Now, as it relates to Peter and Judas's actions, we see that pride what we talked about earlier, pride is the root sin of each person. First, let's look at the pride of Judas. For Judas, we see pride in his life as he has elevated his life where his decisions are based off of how it could best benefit him. We see this in John 12, uh, 3 through 6. I'm going to read this passage. John 12, 3 through 6. Then Mary took a pound of perfume pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, so that the house was filled with fragrance of perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, 
who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, he was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what he put in. Now, this same kind of attitude continues in Matthew uh, 26, 14 through 16. We'll read this as well. Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him, being Jesus, over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Now, from some of these verses, uh, some of you might identify that we, we see greed and selfishness, but not pride. But I firmly believe that pride is present where there is greed and where there is selfishness. Greed, which is at the very least discontentment and at most wanting more and more of something, whatever the case is, greed stems from pride in a posture that says, I think I know what's best for my life and that is more of what I don't have. Selfishness is doing actions based off of what's best for a, a person's own self-interest instead of someone else's. This stems from pride and, and a posture that says, my wants and my desires are far superior than those of others around me. The passage, though, that shows Judas's pride on stage more than any other is we, what we find in Matthew 27, 3 through 5. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse, returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What's that to us? They said, see it to yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. Now, first glance, you might be thinking, how does this show pride? Doesn't it say that Judas was full of remorse? Even though, Judas was full of remorse. We see that remorse was rooted in the guilt he felt. Instead of going to God who could forgive his sin and remove his guilt, Jesus, uh, Judas, Judas tries to make atonement for himself by killing himself, by hanging himself. But only one death could ever bring true lasting atonement, and that is the death of Jesus Christ. We see Judas unwilling to humble himself and accept God's grace on his life. He thought that he had to do the work to be in a right relationship with God, which stems from pride and a posture that says, it is up to me. I control what happens to me. I can change my fate. Oh, prideful Ju Judas, don't you know that pride comes before a fall. Now, let's, let's look at the pride of Peter for a moment. For Peter, we have already seen his pride grow earlier in Luke 22. And now in the verses of uh, Luke 22, verses 54 through 62, we see a full manifestation of Peter's pride as it moves from an attitude to words and now to an action. At this scene, to set this scene a little bit better, what we read in, Matthew, or in Luke 22, Peter has had this mindset that he will never, ever run away from Jesus. That if everyone else does, he will stay true. Remember, we talked about this in the beginning. This is his mindset. That Jesus has come to, to build an earthly kingdom. And in Peter's mind, Jesus isn't supposed to suffer. 
And we see this in Matthew 16, 21 through 23. And to give some context to this verse before we read it, uh, Jesus just has asked Peter the who am I question, and Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then this next passage takes place, Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Here it is. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. We see Peter's mindset in action, this this mindset of Jesus shouldn't suffer. Jesus is here to set up an earthly kingdom. Why would he be killed? And we see this in action when Jesus is arrested and Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, even though Luke's account doesn't actually say Peter's name, if you read John's account of this same scene, he specifically names out Peter. So we know it's Peter as the disciple who does this. Peter's like, no, 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 this isn't supposed to be This is not the way it's supposed to go. Jesus, I'm going to fight for you. But Jesus tells him to stop. To Peter, it was as if Jesus was giving up. So it makes sense that Peter wouldn't want to be associated with Jesus. Peter's gone through this this experience that he he doesn't know how to process it. The person that he thought was going to set up an earthly kingdom, that he's seen do so many miracles, that he thought was going to save the Jewish people, from the Romans, is arrested and has appeared to be given up. And it's here where Peter meets a servant girl, the lowest group of, uh, uh, socially speaking, in that time is to be a servant and then, and then to be uh, a, a girl that is also a servant is, is a really low thing in that culture, in that time period. And it's this person that calls out Peter and says, this man was with him too. And at this point, Peter's pride is like, there's no way that I'm going to have a servant girl trying to, trying to get me into trouble. And he responds, woman, I don't know him. And here we see Peter flat out tell a lie. Which, what root sin is lying? Pride. There's a desire not to tell the truth because of perceived benefits that you might have if you don't. So Peter lies, denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And the look that Jesus had on his face when his eyes met Peter's was enough to send Peter away weeping bitterly. And this is a picture that looks like crying with extreme anguish or pain. Oh, Peter, pride comes before a fall. Now, even though both Judas and Peter had pride, which caused them to to fall, there's a major difference between the two. On one hand, you have Peter, who truly loves Jesus, but he sinned, but he was forgiven and restored later by Jesus And then he lived the rest of his life proclaiming the good news about Jesus all the way until his death. 
And then on the other hand, you have Judas, whom from what we see in Scripture, never had a true loving relationship with God. Lived only for himself to the point where he thought he could work his way into a right relationship, a right standing with God, instead of humbling himself and truly trusting in God to save him. The key faith between the key difference between the two is that Peter had a saving faith, while Judas did not. Both had pride, which caused them to fall, but one fell was broken at the feet of a loving Savior, while the other fell and was crushed by guilt and tried to justify himself, which only leads to eternal judgment and separation from God. Now, I'll finish up with, with this, with this picture. Our college ministry um, here at Crosspoint um, has the privilege to partner with, with uh, crew at Eureka College, crew formerly known as Campus Crusades, uh, has a booklet called Knowing God Personally. And in this booklet, it walks through the gospel presentation, and towards the end, um, it has this picture of some chairs at the end. Awesome. It showed up. Um, here we see this chair on the left. And the chair on the left symbolizes a life that is self-directed. This person, you are simply making decisions based off of your own wants and your own desires. You are not submitting to Christ's desires for your life. Notice Christ isn't even in your circle. He's outside of your life. You don't even acknowledge him. The chair on, on the right, though, is with Christ on it, and it symbolizes a life that is Christ-directed. You are submitting to Christ and making decisions based off of His desires, not your own. He is truly Lord of your life. Now, there's a third scenario between these two pictures, and a third scenario where someone has a, a relationship with Jesus, repented of their sin, trust Jesus with their sin, but in reality, they're still on the chair and Jesus is off to the side. And this represents when we believers sin by choosing our pride over choosing to submit to Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Where are you? Which scenario best represents you? Is there an area of your life that you've been sitting on the throne where you want control? Where pride is keeping you from trusting in Jesus in that area? Where is pride elevating you to the spot where only Jesus should be in your life? If you consider yourself truly someone who loves Jesus, I hope you see that having your pride broken and to fall at the feet of a gracious and loving Savior is a beautiful thing. I pray that you don't lose hope. I pray that you don't let Satan shake your faith because of your pride. I pray that you would come to the cross, fall on Jesus, be broken by his love for you. Acknowledge your pride. Acknowledge your sin. He is faithful to forgive you. Now, if you don't know what it means to have a right relationship with God, if you don't know what it looks like to, to truly love Jesus, the creator of the universe, and I pray, let your pride be broken. Fall into the hands of a God who loves you, who created you, who desires you, who wants to be in a relationship with you. Because at the end of your life, if you've never let your pride be broken by God, it will happen. 
It will happen when you die and you see Jesus face to face. But instead of meeting a loving Savior, you will meet a righteous judge who sees someone who tried to justify their sin. Someone who never trusted in Him to save them from their sins. And He will say in that moment, get away from me, I never knew you. And you'll be sentenced to separation from God for eternity in hell. One way or another, your pride will be broken and will cause you to fall. I pray that you would choose to have your pride be broken today and trust in Jesus today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need you. We need you every moment. We need you every hour. God, our, our inclination as humans is to puff ourselves up. Our inclination is to serve self. God, and we battle with our pride day in and day out. And I, God, I just pray that we would recognize those areas that we elevate ourselves to where only you should be. God, I pray that we would come and confess our sin to you, that we will confess our pride, that we can fall and be met with your love and your grace this morning. God, because the reality is, even if we want to acknowledge it or not, that you are the Lord, you are creator, and there will be a day that we will fall. God, I pray that we would fall in your grace this morning. God, I pray that we would encourage one another, that we'd be able to talk with one another where we're battling, where we're struggling, where we're falling, God. And I pray that we would be able to encourage one another in this battle against our flesh, against our sin. God, help us to encourage one another and point each one of us back to you, a gracious, kind, and loving God who desires to be in a relationship with us. God, I pray that that would be so in our lives today. God, we love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I just want to end this service with reading um, Isaiah 45, verses 22 through 25. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn truth has gone from my mouth and a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said to me about, about me, righteousness and strength are found only in the Lord. All who are enraged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will be justified and find glory through the Lord. My prayer for you. As you go throughout today, this week, is that you would find your strength in the Lord, that you would bow before him. Fall on your knees before him. Find your justification. Find everything that you need in him and him alone.